Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. It is Black History Month, so all month we are celebrating Black business. And uh, earlier this week, Sean, Karen, we talked about some of our favorite Black businesses, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Remember that expensive laundromat? I love it. (laughs) Well, we did, Matt. And guess what? I'm surprising you guys once again. I thought I'd bring on my favorite Black business owners. Or you know what? They're just my favorite business owners in general. Not even just because they're black. They're just my favorite business owners. So I thought I'd bring them on, surprise you guys, as I always do for these shows. I'm bringing on my longtime friend, Sarah Nurse, who owns Kiki's Pet Spot and Boutique in Brooklyn, New York, Fort Greene. And then my good friend, trainer, and I got to say all the right things because he's going to be busting my ass tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., Chris Sansbury from CrossFit Dean Street. Welcome to the show, guys, and thank you for coming on. So, Karen, do you have any, I think you have a few stats for us on on Black-owned businesses. Why don't you share those with us? If you guys want a little Black history business facts, you guys can refer to our last episode, which had some good little trivia in it, but we have a couple more this time. The number of Black-owned businesses in America has ballooned between 2007 and 2012, which is the last time that the U.S. Census Bureau tallied the nation's Black-owned business says at 2.6 million businesses, which is an increase between those years of 37%, which is huge. And honestly, I, I, I can't answer the question of why that is. Maybe you guys can. We fed up with working for the man. <laughs> you and me both, babe. <laughs> <laughs> we fed up with the man. <laughs> well, I mean, guys, that's, that's a huge jump. Well, uh, sadly, the backside of that, that statistic is COVID has done a lot of damage to a lot of the black small business world. There, a lot of them are fighting to stay alive. So there's right. a twofold uh, statistic going on. But so, so why don't you guys, can you guys tell us a little bit about your businesses? Start with Chris. Oh, wow. Um, okay. My name is Chris Sainsbury um, and I am community rich. And what I mean by that is that I have the job and the opportunity 
And not to sound cliche whatsoever, but my job and my responsibility is to make people healthier, stronger, fitter, and just better movers overall. But what that comes with is a lot of like self-confidence, self-esteem, like just a preparation for life that's that's very hard to describe. You know what I mean? Like it's like you're just my job is about making you better. That's it. If you that's it. And we and the beautiful thing about my gym is that you're gonna meet like-minded people that have the same interests, other professionals, it doesn't matter the industry that you're in. I mean, once, sometimes I have sanitation workers and brain surgeons uh, working in the same room together. Like there's every walk of life walk through my door. But the main thing is the main ingredient, the common denominator is that everybody just wants to get better. And, mm-hmm. and that's, it. that's it. Let me give you a brief example of that and my personal experience with Chris CrossFit. Like I was always an active guy that worked out consistently and CrossFit kind of took my Chris's Chris's gym took me my workouts to a whole different level. Like you, when you're going to the gym by yourself, you're kind of doing what you're comfortable doing, and right. Chris's gym pushes you to do things that you're uncomfortable doing. Like being six foot four, putting a bar straight over your head and bending down and snatching it is a very tough exercise for tall people. But I was forced to do it. And to make a long story short, I was I hated running, and because CrossFit makes you uncomfortable, for the first time in my life, I ran like a ten mile run. You know? Did you just tell a story about how tall and fit you are? No, I am, but, you know, that's <laughs> but um, I, and that's all to do with CrossFit. I mean, it really, I really saw the change in like my strength, my endurance, and all that. And it's there's such a camaraderie in there. Yeah, you don't even know what anybody does in there because everybody's just kind of working towards a common goal. And Chris's staff and team are just yeah. great motivators. It doesn't matter who's training; he's trained them all consistently. A staff where every trainer is a great trainer, and you just get motivated to do your thing. So yeah, it's a it's a great environment of people of all different walks in life. No, I'll, I'll, one thing I do want to say that, like, Sean just really capitalized on is that I don't do well as a business if you don't change. So this is not like your big global gym. You're, um, this is not the 10,000-person gym. This is the 300, 500, 200-person gym where I know, where it sounds like cheers, right? And, like, everybody knows your name. And, like, that's what it is. And at the end of the day, like, I don't do well as a business owner if you don't actually become better. And if, and, and if you don't, then honestly, I will clip your membership. If you don't show up, I will clip your membership. Like, there's really? no point in holding on to dead weight in my business. Yeah. It's a, it's, um, it's a very hard pill to swallow, um, but I'm not in the business of taking your money and you're not utilizing it. I mean, people must absolutely love that. You know, that's very like, um, that's very kind of central bank interest rates kind of thing. Like you're tightening up the <laughs> supply and then the demand was just, got, if somebody told me I wasn't making enough progress to be at their gym, I would I would work out so hard. <laughs> I, would do, I would double my rate. I would pay so much money just to be accepted at this gym that doesn't want me. <laughs> the first class I, I, I did I would, with Chris. I wouldn't, the first I wouldn't class throw I that blow that hard. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> knock you down that hard. But if you really look at the business planning for gyms, they say, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? 50% of all of your members will not use you. Well, you know what? Then I don't need that type of ratio. Mm-hmm. Like if, if 50% of my business doesn't use me, well, then I'm out of business. Yeah. Right. You know, because I, I already charge at a premium. You know, I already charge at a premium. At the end of the day, I need you to come. I need you to be involved. I need you to, like, get some of the smoke. Saren, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business? So, so while Chris is there getting people all fit and healthy <laughs> and beautiful, I'm getting their pets. 
all fit and healthy and beautiful. So my business, Kiki's Pets Fan Boutique, I do pet care services. So I do doggy daycare. I do overnight boarding. I do pet grooming. I do training. So I pretty much, you know, have any service that you can think of for a dog or a cat. So that's an, that's a parallel between my business and Chris's business. I'm here to get the pets looking all great and fit and healthy. I don't I don't reject them if they're not. <laughs> if they're not <laughs> I do reject them. I do reject them if they start making problems and troubles like Sean's hat, Sean's dog is done. <laughs> Sean, what is up with your dog? Yeah, what's up with him? I got a crazy dog, man. I got a crazy dog. And let me just what give you a story. What has he done to friend of He's the show, Saren? Let me just tell you what, I'm, what I had to do before I came on this show. I have an iRobot. And I didn't realize I went away. And I guess my dog just felt like, oh, I'm going to just poop in the kitchen. And my iRobot is set to 4 o'clock. So I was Ooh. cleaning with a toothpick my iRobot out with dog poop. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's my dog champ. A mind of his own, doesn't care. And yeah, yeah, he's a child. Well, well, on that note, so Saren, Saren, how long have you been in business? How long has Kiki's been in business, Saren? So it's been, gosh, close to 20 years. Wow. I know you can't, I know I look like 21, right? But yeah, it, it, yeah. It's been close to 20 years. And I've actually, so I've opened up a total, I think it's of six stores in the course of 20 years so um i have opened closed sold consolidated so i'm actually down to one store which is my original store which is in fort green that's been around for the longest Mm -hmm. i opened up in 2003 and you know you know i mean you guys have been in fort green i think matt and sean you guys have lived there so you've seen the neighborhood change and so my business has really changed over those close to two decades in terms of the services I offered. I started off doing uh, pet supplies and that changed where I, I do not do any pet supplies any longer. And the majority of my business is doggy daycare and boarding. So yeah, well, so that's about my business. So Fort Green is kind of gentrified now, right? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> So it's more than a little bit gentrified because people who look exactly like me moved in and opened a Starbucks. <laughs> so, so you're in a pretty gentrified spot. And what are some of the challenges of that specifically? Or like, what are the challenges of being there as it was gentrifying? So, so gentrification is, it's a process, right? So mm-hmm. gentrification has, you know, Fort Green started in the early 2000s where you had black on black gentrification. You had wealthier blacks come into the neighborhood. Then after that, you had more of the artsy types of white people. And then that changed also, and they were displaced. And then you had higher income white people. So over those three processes, my business changed also. So initially when, you know, I, I had more of a black clientele, then it changed and I had more of a white clientele, but then they were also didn't have, they didn't have as high of an income. So initially I had to, I was really price conscious in terms of what I was offering. That changed. And now that we have more higher income white people, my biggest category, my biggest category of business is doggy daycare because they have the means to afford doggy daycare and they want doggy daycare. 
Mm-hmm. So that's how, like, you know, that, that's how my business model has changed. So you're constantly also, re-engineering yourself to, to keep up with what's happening and changing in your community. You're aware, yes, you have so to be aware of what's happening. It's adaptation. And that's right. the only way I think a business can survive in a gentrified neighborhood is to really adapt their business model. Mm-hmm. Because your customer base is changing. And then also your expenses are going up. Because, you know, you have more competition for space. Mm-hmm. So rents are increasing. So you have to figure out how am I going to afford this increased rent? So you're constantly what, adapting. What about you, Chris? I think for me, the idea of opening a gym started pretty much once they started talking about renovating BAM. That's mm-hmm. when, when, when it actually started happening a little shortly before or after 9-11, that's when the ideas of opening a gym started for me. I started doing my research and I was in Manhattan and back and forth between Manhattan and Brooklyn a lot. And I remember um, I was ready. I was ready to pull the trigger. I was going to open a, a boutique studio in Manhattan. I was going to try Becca. And this guy comes to me and, he, and he's an older gentleman that owns a, a gym in uh, Manhattan still. He says, at this point, you could probably earn the same dollar around the corner from where you live. Why? come to Manhattan and battle with the rat race, stay in Brooklyn, be in Brooklyn, be one of the first to actually be a part of the wave of change. And I, and with all honesty, that's exactly what I did. Um, mm-hmm. New York is a service providing uh, city. So like I, my job is to provide the service for anybody old or new. Um, and that's where I am with that. Mm-hmm. Were you nervous, like, about doing serving beyond your community? Because I know in our community, it's like it's it's, it's it can be challenging. It's not necessarily the norm. Is that something that you thought about, or you just kind of went in and did it? I put up as a neighborhood was gentrifying, so there were you know there were black customers and there were white customers. And the thing is that what you know what I was finding is that you know my white customers were probably more into actually grooming their dogs a little bit more frequently. So I kind of had to have a diverse clientele. And so that's the way it's always been. And, you know, I've had, so if, and even if I look at it, how it is now, so my grooming business is primarily black. So people come from as far away as Delaware to get their dogs from my my come son. from Delaware? Wow, wow. That's, yeah. that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, Why because, is remember, that? because remember, you know, I was, you know, you're also in a gentrified neighborhood where blacks were displaced. So once someone is like a hairstylist, once you establish a relationship with your dog groomer, it's, right. you know, usually you'll come back and the dog has to be groomed every, what, every two or three months. So, you know, oh, you come back into trip. New York City, you right. know, you bring your dog to the groomer. So, my grooming business, the majority of, you know, of, of majority of it is actually is, is black. Now, when I look at my doggy daycare business, the majority of it is white. And then, you know, there are a couple of reasons there, you know, it's may, maybe, you know, that uh, in terms of the, the price points that maybe the white people who are actually in the neighborhood are more likely to use that service because doggy daycare t- tends to be more of a, lo- a local business. And the fact that now the majority of my residents and my, and my neighbors are white, that tends to be where, you know, my clientele comes is, is local. So I, there's actually I, a difference in terms of like my services and who, you know, who my customers are. 
I, I have a question for Chris, like actually for both of you, but I'd like to start with Chris with under the, the, the challenges we've had with COVID and, and how that's been affecting businesses. I know for gyms and in uh, indoor businesses, there's there's different regulations, laws, challenges. Uh, like how, how have you dealt with the pandemic? How has that changed or how have you had to shift? How has that impacted you at all or if, if at all? Oh, no, it, it definitely impacted. Um, you know, it was extremely scary for a little while because we didn't know, we didn't have a really full understanding of what was going on with COVID. We didn't understand exactly how to contract it. We didn't know if going outside and taking out the garbage was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. So it was totally scary. Um, over time, and especially when it became summertime, you start to see what resembled New York city slightly mm -hmm. um people started to become a, the understanding the information people were listening to dr fauci we were watching you know all the powers be you know speak about it and people slowly started to become more comfortable but when the when they allowed gyms to open we were able to do the things that gyms should have been doing from very long ago there's there's a spray bottle there with with the the right uh solutions Here's your personalized cleaning rag. Please, um, please wipe down your stations. How many times do you remember going to a uh, a gym and somebody left a like a puddle of sweat on the floor? Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Right. Things like things like that are not happening now. Like, no, 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 no. You please clean up after yourself now. And and you you'll notice that people are. It's like literally talking to a five year old. Like, no, <laughs> you you over there, clean it up. <laughs> you know. So um, um. So I, I love it. I love it for that aspect, but the hard part, the hard part is that, you know, gyms thrive on population. Mm -hmm. So I heard my business partner say the other day, like, you know, back in the day, showing a packed gym was cool. Not so much more, not, not, not too much more. Showing a packed gym is kind of scary. So yeah. then what do you do? Do you raise your prices? Then you kind of price yourself out, right? No, we can't do that. We just got to like, honestly, we just got to ride the wave and, Hopefully, gather. Uh, hopefully, let the government earn our trust and uh, and allow trust our community. And but what, hands down, and I said this a couple of weeks, a couple a couple of minutes ago, uh, at the beginning of my introduction, that I'm community rich. And with all honesty, we went through seven months with no gym. Like there were times that we opened up a parking lot, and we were training in the middle of the rain. And, and mind you, keep in mind for people that are. Uh, listening in, we were allowed. The CDs, the CDC allowed us to actually ha go outside and work out in the parks and working out and work out in uh, open spaces, but we couldn't do anything in clothes and indoors. So we were like on the sidewalk with the barbells and the kettlebells and everything else. And so there were days that it was pouring rain, and we were out there teaching the full class. And so I would say. Again, community rich, I would be out of business if my community stopped paying their membership. And every person um, literally hung in there with us and literally paid their membership for the seven months of no, of no physical indoor space. That's great. Well, That's impressive. What I can think say about you too, Chris, that people I want to let people hear is that you actually reduced your membership fees for members, you know. And I know amongst us as clients, we were just so oh, yeah. shocked and happy that you were able to do that. And not just 
a little bit significantly like, like less than half of what you would normally charge and it, and you were did a good job as far as like we we, we you know feel like part of the family feeling part of the family like throughout we were doing online classes you were doing outdoor stuff so it's like we never left we were just waiting for you to to gear back up and i think that type of customer service like you said community rich pays off like putting you invested in your clients by giving them discounts acknowledging their needs and keeping in touch with them to know that you know i'm there for you and i think that's why i think the gym is thriving even better like you said it's a cleaner gym i think there's i think there's more people coming there now than there was before mm -hmm. COVID. to be quite frank it feels that way you know and i and, and, yeah. and the classes are, are just as are really intense now so i think you are able to really i don't want to say take advantage of COVID, but understand how you need to adjust your business model, how you need to be get more customer service friendly to make everybody commit to your brand and what you do. So kudos to you. Thank you, brother. Karen, you wanna? Yeah, so, I mean, it's awesome that the community's been like an asset to you and you an asset to the community, but what about institutions? Like how have your interactions with banks been and do you feel like, you've had any different treatment because of your race? Sarah? Sure, so I think um, I've actually had pretty good experiences with banks, interestingly. Um, so I've actually been able to, um, since I've been in business, I've actually gotten two SBA loans, uh, which is quite unusual, I think, as a black woman, when you look at, you know, at the studies. But I think also, I would say, you know, the key for me uh, was, again, you know, I was in a gentrified neighborhood. So I, and I always, so I say the theory of proximity to whiteness mm -hmm. and that's the fact that I was actually in neighborhoods that had specialized business bankers. So I was able to, to develop a relationship with my business bankers and they encouraged me to apply for business loans. So I actually never had an issue actually getting a loan. So which is, I think is, is a little bit unusual. So I can never say, and even like, you know, when uh, in the, in, for PPP last year, you know, when people were, you know, were talking about, you know, having issues with it, I was able to get a PPP loan in the first round of funding within a matter of like three days. And again, because my business banker reached out to me and she was like, you know, PPP is opening up now go ahead and apply. So I think I've been a little bit unusual in the sense that I've been able to, have, I have not had an issue with the banks at all. Mm -hmm. So you think that being in the neighborhood is what helped you? Do you think you were in one of those desert bank in neighborhoods like in Brooklyn, like let's just say Brownsville, East New York, you may, you think your experience would have been different? Oh, definitely, you know, definitely. It's like I said, you know, it's, it's my theory is it's a proximity to whiteness that really helped me in terms of getting, you know, funding from banks. A follow-up on the banking question, in terms of how both of you guys started your business, how did you guys, in terms of getting capital or fund, did you self-start it with your own money? Did you have people invest? Did you get loans? How did you start your businesses? Um, I started my first, I, I, re I received, an, it was my own personal money and I probably had maybe a couple of investors, um, but these were, again, people that I've trained and have known me and I've shared my vision with over the over years. And then one day they just became my angel and my angel in disguise. Um, and yeah, I'm really upset about the people. 
like I didn't want to be first with the with the loan conversation because I was denied on everything. So like just about just about I think I, for 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 the lockdown when the rollout started, I think we got all of five thousand dollars. Wow. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, but like um, but regardless of that, like um, everything has been out of pocket, pretty much out of pocket for me. In and what terms about like of, um, starting my business? What about partnerships? I know, like even myself, you guys, you kind of have your friends, you're in and out of partners. Like, how, what what, to, what advice do you give, and how is that navigating like through this whole like, you know, re- business relationship, partnership relationships, vendor relationships? How's relationships? What would you? say to young people starting out as far as partnership and relationships and trying to build a business? So I think, I think relationships are, are extremely important. And uh, so, you know, back to the whole thing with funding, I self-funded my first store. Um, and my, you know, I also had some family support. But after that, I, um, I had investors and they generally were from my network. And so I think that really is important. And even beyond that, I actually had, I've done a couple of partnerships with people. I've had, uh, when I did retail, when I did pet, pet supplies retailing, I actually leased a portion of my store to people who actually were doing that particular business. I've also had uh, a veterinarian who rented space for me. I've had trainers who rented space for me. So a lot of what I've done is actually has been partnerships. Mm-hmm. And I actually also ended up having doing a store in Prospect Heights, interesting, Chris, uh, on Washington Avenue with someone else in a partnership, but that actually didn't work out. So uh, for me, I think the actual business partnership can actually be a little bit, uh, can be a little difficult and challenging. But in terms of having like, you know, partnerships in terms of subleasing, you know, and, and stuff like that. I think that definitely has worked. And I think that has actually been a major part of my business model, mm-hmm. being able to actually sublease the space, having someone else come in and not having to worry about, you know, have control in that particular part of the business, mm-hmm. but having them bring in their clients and supplying me with, you know, a sublease fee or a rental. Gotcha. Right. So what, have you guys heard um, the Elon Musk quote? who said, um, what words of encouragement would you give an entrepreneur? And he said, if you need words of encouragement, don't become an entrepreneur. (laughs) Do you think that's true? Or did you have someone kind of cheerleading you along the way? Did you need it? Do you wish you had it? Or are you like totally good on your own? Um, I'm going to jump in on this one. Um, I would say that I think his statement is full of it. Um, there's been oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you're so different, Mr. Trainer. <laughs> Why is he full of it? Uh-huh. Like, no, I know no, what's up. I think it's full of it because, like, okay, like, I really feel like we're all emotional beings, right? And so, there's no, yeah, there's a book out there that talks about entrepreneur entrepreneurship, but no one, there's no book that tells you about the emotional vibes and the responsibility ability of actually having a staff and not knowing how you're going to pay Peter or Paul and 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 knowing it, I'm so sorry like the highs and lows of business unless you have a massive cushion to fall under like you're going to pull from every source of inspiration that you possibly can to keep moving forward I said my quote 
immediately what, uh, what 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 advice can you have to someone going into business any young person old person doesn't matter keep your eye on the ball because the minute you take your eye off the ball things start to go all over the place you have you lost your control you don't know how you where your advantage points are you don't know where you're you can leverage situations but regardless you need people to support you along but do you think process. everybody's built to be an entrepreneur like not everybody's and built my to be dad, no no not at all I, I think it takes a special person to want to be able i think it takes a special person to walk on both sides of the track mm-hmm. like but, but that kind of blanket that kind of that kind of blanket statement that musk made though to me it's like i'm sure there's plenty of people who maybe have not had business uh experience or are whatever i don't know what kind of money he comes from but i'm sure there's been people who were given encouragement advice and and learned later and became successful this is i think it's just kind of a it sounds to me like a privileged kind of attitude like oh if you need it you know encouragement like to me like whatever like there's no i don't think there's a 100 on anything like to me just blanket statements i think are bs well <laughs> yeah. i'm not i i kind of like this statement and like chris you know, I've spoken to you now for a couple of years and Saren as well. You both have a common denominator, which is like you both have survival skills, you know, and I think being an entrepreneur, you have to have survival skills. And you have to know how to leverage and use angles and so forth. And, you, know, you both are good at that. And Matt, you're good at that as well. So I don't think everybody's built for it. And I think that's what he's saying. If like if you're a, if you're not built, this is a game. This this is not easy being an entrepreneur. And if you're not built for it, you know, there's nothing wrong with staying corporate. I just think, it, you know, he's just saying that not everybody's built for this game. You're, you're, you're interpreting what he's saying, and you did a better job of saying that. that he, yeah. You did a better job of saying that you need survival skills, and this is not for everyone. I agree with all of that. But what he said to me, it's just kind of, it, it's a little bit extra. But Come on, haven't we all had people that, like, want to be entrepreneurs and they come to you, and you just know in the back of your mind they're not built for this? Yes, but is that is that because they need encouragement, you know, like even just like a word of support or whatever. Some people just, you know, we're talking like we've been talking about community and relationships and stuff. And like there's nothing in my whole life that I've done with any degree of success that hasn't leveraged relationships and connections and friendships and just people who like me and I like them back and that it just mutually benefits us, even if it is just words of encouragement from someone that you look up to whose words mean something or whatever that really lands or someone that helps you see something in a slightly different way. Like, you know, to me, it's like a little bit gloaty the way that he put that, right? Like, I don't need anything for anybody, but yeah, but you're a rich white guy. So, you know, maybe you didn't need as much encouragement as somebody else, but you know, is that necessarily a weakness that you needed a kind word? But there's people that have left corporate and we all know them and they feel they have the same corporate privileges in the entrepreneurial world they still think like they have this phantom budget they feel they have this support unit they don't have to clean up the poop they don't have to mop the floors because that's not the world they came from and those people i'm like you're not built for it right and they'll they'll learn <laughs> but can I jump in can i jump in for, for, for uh, i have two things yeah. to say so um i i agree so with the elon musk tape i mean i think elon musk is the arrogant white guy and I think that statement reeks of white privilege. And the thing is that, you know, we all need social support, especially a black person in business. So let's talk about stereotype threats. And the fact that as a black person going into business, you probably are more concerned about failing than a white person is. So you probably do need 
more social support and more words of encouragement than a white person does. Secondly, he got words of encouragement. When his angel investor said yes to investing in him, that was a word of encouragement. So he can't say he didn't get any words of encouragement. So that's the other thing is that, you know, we talk about the fact that this isn't, you know, not everyone is built for this. I agree, you know, there are, there are certain things about entrepreneurs, the risk taking, definitely you have to be a real risk taker. But as an educator, as someone who teaches entrepreneurship, I firmly believe entrepreneurship can be taught. It's not always an innate quality. It can definitely be taught. So I wouldn't say that not everyone is built for entrepreneurship. I think they can be developed. And I've seen it happen. I think that's such a great point, Sarah. And I think entrepreneurship can be taught and developed. And that's part of the reason why we're doing a show like today's episode, to show people what's possible. Well, sit tight. We need to take a quick sponsor break and stay tuned for more Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We'll be right back. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. Today, we are discussing entrepreneurship. It's Black History Month. We have two of our favorite Black-owned businesses um, and their owners, Chris Sainsbury of CrossFit Dean Street in Brooklyn, New York, which is a gym, and Sarah Nurse of Kiki's Pet Spa and Boutique, also in Brooklyn, New York. Well, they are here to discuss and break down some of the challenges, successes, and lessons they've learned in business. So let's jump back into this. I have a question actually for both of you, but Chris, if, is there something that you've learned, like if, if the, the old kind of, if you could tell your younger self, like what have you learned through your journey in business that maybe if that, that you would, that, that, or what kind of um, lessons have you learned that maybe you didn't know when you started? Like, I know you say, keep your eye on the ball. And that that's definitely something we, everyone needs to, pay attention to but is there anything like oh i didn't realize this or i didn't realize that um was there anything i could tell my younger self right now wow um you know a whole lot and i just don't know where to start um i would, I would honestly i think i probably would have told myself one that it's okay uh, i think i battled with opening up my own business for about seven years mm-hmm. before but just to realize i was always in business for myself from the beginning 
That's but, so deep. So I would say to myself, shoot your, sh I would say shoot your <laughs> shot. Like, don't, uh, don't, uh, don't allow yourself to, don't talk your, don't, don't negotiate with yourself and don't talk yourself out of opportunities. Like you, I, honestly, I think, you know, there's, again, I think as a business owner, we all kind of flirt with make the lines of, is this the right decision? Regardless, we're going to make a decision, but is this the right decision for me, mm -hmm. for my community, for my business? And there's only going to be one of two answers, you know? So I would say like, you know, make a decision and go for it. If that's what you really want, stick to it. That's what I would tell myself, my younger self. Saren, what about you? Any any lesson that you've learned through your experience that maybe you didn't know when you started? Yeah, so I think one major regret I have is that I put every single thing I have into my business. I did not diversify. So what that means, I actually, I sold two properties to put the funds into my business. I opened up my first store from funds I used from selling my, my, my first piece of property I bought. I used, I also bought a second property and I used funds from that to keep my business afloat. So I had a situation where I cashed out my 401k to, for my business. I put all my real estate you know, uh, investment into my business and I was diversified. And I think that's a major issue. So if I had to do it over again, I would definitely make sure I, I was diversified. And I think, I mean, cause you know, I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing research right now on black owned business survival. And this seems to be a common thread among black women is that we tend to put, and this, you know, actually it's across the blessed women I've spoken to. We tend to cash out every single thing that we have and put it into our businesses. I'm speaking to this one woman, she was, she's 75 years old now. She was in business for 30 years. She has absolutely nothing left because she sold her property. She cashed in her retirement savings to keep her business afloat. So I think that's one thing I definitely would tell anybody at this point, especially women, because women, you know, as black women, we have the lowest, the lowest levels of wealth. And when we are starting off on the bottom and then we subtract it from that, it's not a good position at the end of it. So definitely make sure you're diversified. Would you, in your opinion, do you think that phenomenon is a black thing or a woman thing or both or equally both a black woman thing? So I think for black women, there are a couple of things. So firstly, we're starting off with the lowest rates of lowest levels of wealth. So when you're starting off, you know, the average black woman has zero wealth. So when you start off with zero wealth and you have something, and you're taking away from it, then you have even less wealth. Secondly, I think for black women, we have this stigma consciousness of not wanting to look like a failure. Mm -hmm. So when we, when our businesses are going down, it's, you know, it's going down, it's no longer viable. We're still sticking to it because we don't want to look as if we failed. So we're pouring everything behind it. When, when we probably should be exiting that situation, but we're not exiting. So what would you have done instead then if you needed to bail out your own business and you had a property available to you but didn't want to cash it out, what would you have done differently? So what I would have done you know, differently from the beginning is I would have leveraged the real estate from the beginning. I wouldn't have actually sold it. 
I would have tried, I would have gone to a bank and said, how can I use this as collateral, but not actually cashed it out. I would have, I would have held on to something, put it into some sort of an investment where I could not touch it. And now, how are you? How are you doing with like? Are you buying new properties? Is it okay if I ask? Like, are you? Is sure. your goal to get it back? So my goal at this point, yeah, is like, is to be, is to be, is to be more diversified. Uh-huh. And what I can say also is, I mean, I have had. I'm lucky in the sense that I've had family support, and I've had people who've been able to help me. And I think had I not had that, I probably would be in a different place financially at this point. Uh-huh. So I think I really am lucky in that, in that respect. But I've seen, I see so many women and black women who after all these years in business have nothing to show for it. Because again, you know, they're, they're, we're believing that this, our asset is a business. Mm-hmm. A business is only an asset if you can actually sell it and mm-hmm. someone else can actually see the value in it. If someone else is not gonna buy it, it's really not an asset. So Chris, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Chris. I know a lot of young guys, they come to me and they have these great business yep. plans. And when I look them over, by year one, they're making $100 million. By year two, they're making $20 million. When do you think realistically you would tell like the young people like when your business is really going to start making money? When, like, what's the reality of that, especially as, a, you know, as a, a person of color business owner? When is a realistic time to say, you know what, you better put your business plan and put it more stretch it out to year X before you really start thinking about making money? Uh, I would say one. Where's your? Where's the part of the thing where you're planning to lose? Um, I want to see. I want to see that type of thinking when I'm looking at a business plan. Okay, because like no one expected COVID to come. You know, how are you going to pivot when it comes? You know, right. um, you know, if God forbid you had business partners and one of them quit, how are you going to actually be able to do X, Y, and Z? Or let's just say, what if people don't like your service? How do you move from there? So, how do I want to see more? I want to see more. I, it's not a a, it's not an A plan or a B plan or a C plan. No, it's the plan based off of like, cause there's, it's always great to be ambitious. And ambition is one of the things it's a, it's a ambition for me is a, a pro and a con. Because I would have probably been that 25 year old that came to you with a business plan and said, you know, in the first, Sean, if you give me $10,000, I'm gonna bring back, I'm gonna bring back a million. You know, but like at the end of the day, the reality of that is it's not always there. And like, I think if you don't plan for the failure and the exit plan, then you're not really, you're not really in depth in your thinking. Um, yeah, a lot of young people don't plan for the but exit again, plan. No, because it's going to work. You know, and that's exactly <laughs> what they'll tell you. No, no, it's going to work. This is going to work. Uh, but like, um, but with all honesty, like the reality of it, I was laughing a second ago. When I was thinking about, I was thinking about my mother, and I was thinking about her, how she handled her business, and she's like one hundred percent. There's no bank. If I can't save for it, if I can't pay for it, we're just not gonna have it. And my mother is like my business idol, and now I have arguments with her in terms of like leveraging her positions to have more. But it just, you know, that's just not her thinking, and so. Which is kind of cute, but like at the end of the day, like in reality, I literally just put myself on salary with my business for the first time ever. How many years? Uh, congratulations! And, and it's not that my congratulations, brother. How long was uh, it? How many years? It's been open for six years. 
Wow. Um, the gym has been open for six years. Five, well, five. We had a transitional. We had a transitional shift, but I literally just sal- put myself on salary, and so you know, there, not to say there wasn't like I always had a means of being able to take care of myself, but literally, I was had for the first five years of business, it was always me treating my gym like a baby and always investing my money. If I made a dollar from my other job, it went into my business. Like literally, and, and I'm not, I, I, have, I have stories to say, but like, like at the end of the day, I literally just put myself on a little something. And I'm, it, it almost depressed me, and it, it, but it also made me damn proud. Because at the end of the day, I don't necessarily have to show up to work. Like it's just, it becomes like there's a system in place, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I have a question for both of you. What's the plan post COVID? Like, are you planning to open new locations? Like, expand, keep things the same, even like or downsize or whatever? Like, what is your what's your post COVID outlook looking like? <laughs> so I, I'm I'm taking one day at a time. So I'm trying to get through COVID, um, you know, because COVID has pretty much, you know, changed my whole business model. Yeah. Um, my, so like I said, you know, like I, I've, I've had ton, a lot of stores and I do, I'm down to one store now. And my plan is to transition out of, this, out of my business. And the plan has been to sell it to one of my employees. Um, with COVID, that kind of changes things a bit. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, my whole model has kind of changed. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that post-COVID, you know, things can be can return to normal, some sort of normalcy. Mm-hmm. Because doggy daycare has been my primary category of revenues. Mm-hmm. But with people being at home mm-hmm. and the people who are more likely to send their dog to doggy daycare, they're the ones who are able to work from home. So that pretty much has changed that particular that whole business category completely. So I'm actually at the point of actually rebuilding and figuring out exactly what this business model is. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, so that's where I'm at right now to kind of figure out, you know, I'm, I'm rebuilding somewhat different categories in the business. Mm-hmm. So hopefully what- within the next six months, a year, things will stabilize and we'll figure yeah. out what's going on. So my final question to you guys, um, since it's Black History Month, quick, do you feel like as Black business owners, you have that kinship, that support unit for the community support unit? I know a lot of the other communities have that like feeling of support. Do you feel like you're alone on an island or you feel like there's a support unit for you in your business? Chris, I'll let you start. I don't feel like I'm alone on the island, but I do... I, I don't really know how to explain this, but the margin of us are so small. It's like I can spot the black business from, you know, from down. I can see you, my friend. You know, like I, I like I, you know, it sounds corny, but like, like, but like I, you know, and I make it my business. I am not always. It's never. It's it's very rarely reciprocated. But I do make it my business to go and do business with them. So now you have a new member, if you can see my dog curled up over there, that will come to see you soon because I patronize. That's awesome. Great. I patronize, patronize, patronize. Um, just 
just be, just because it's like there's this literally the margins of, of of a minority owned business, a minority owned business, and being a woman, like they're very few far in between, and these are just things that we have to like overcome. Well, I was gonna ask you how can we do better, and I think you answered that. You you answered that. You know, supporting one each, each other's businesses and making the effort to do so. And Sarah, and I'll ask you the same question. How do you feel about the kinship amongst Black-owned businesses and, you know, what can be done if, to, to make it even a better? Yeah, I think sometimes I think, you know, we're so ca- caught up in doing our own thing and trying to survive, you know, in our businesses that sometimes we don't really reach out. And I think if there can be some sort of, you know, some sort of, you know, maybe formal means of doing so, having some sort of a group of Black business owners, you know, because we do have like, you know, the, the merchants associations and stuff like that. But to be able to actually have a group of people who are like you, who maybe go into the similar issues as you because of your race, you know, and you, you know, the, the unique challenge that you face and people who can understand that, I think it would be a good thing. You know, so you want, you want to form a group, Chris? <laughs> Sounds it sounds like you, you sounds like you just opened up your new business plan. That's what happened <laughs> right now. <laughs> but no, I definitely feel I I definitely feel you know that in, you know there are few people in my neighborhood. There are very few of us left, and you know we talk you know we try to talk as much as possible. But like, like I said, we're all so caught up in trying to survive that sometimes we just need to take that break and say let's just meet up and talk. I think it's a good thing if we can do that. Well, we thank you guys for sharing all this knowledge. Um, how, how can our listeners who want to support your businesses or, or learn more about your businesses, how can they get a hold or follow you guys? Give us your, your social media handles. Tell us how to get at you. Chris, go, you go first. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, follow me on my website, www.deancrossfit.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Dean underscore CrossFit. Love to hear from you. See us. Come by. Check it out. Let's sweat. Tell me that Instagram one more time, Chris. Just the Instagram. My Instagram is at Dean underscore CrossFit. Got it. All right, Saren, how about you? How can people follow you, get a hold of you, take or, or just you know get to know more about your business? So thanks, everyone. So you can reach me online on my website, kikispetspa.com is the best way to reach me. And then from there, there are links to my Instagram, to my Twitter, to everything that you need from there. Look forward to seeing you guys soon. Look forward to seeing you, Chris, soon. Oh, no, no. I'm going to get your information from Sean. You'll see me. Literally, you'll see me before the end of this week. Great. <laughs> we, we, we have a business love connection. <laughs> Let's, we all need to do this. Let's all support, support these black businesses. <laughs> That's everybody, you know, I think this is great. Great to see. So thank you guys. And uh, that brings this episode of Two Black Guys with good credit to a close. Uh, I'm Matt Smith, one third of Two Black Guys with good credit. And like I always say, nothing changes if nothing changes. And this is a perfect example of how we can change our businesses and change the community by supporting each other. So that's my final word on it. And I'm, and I'm out. And I'm Karen Margolis, one third. But I feel like one fifth today of two black guys with good credit you don't even have to have that good credit and you can be just black on the inside and you don't even have to be a guy so it's explaining it to the newcomers <laughs> um and as i always say it doesn't matter what you did it matters what you do next i'm sean linda the fifth of two black guys with good credit and 
you know, it's about supporting your community and let every day and every month be Black History Month. And, you know, the only way we can do better is to help each other. And um, thank you guys for coming on the show. And I love what you guys do. And, yeah, let's keep it going. Let's keep the movement going. And I'm out. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.